Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope you enjoy this message today. You know, I feel for like God's, um, you know, God gives each of us different emphasis on our life and different ministries and as you know, every minister and every pastor has different ministries. I feel like that there's, the Lord has given me a, a baptism anointing and I'm not talking about the pool over there. I'm talking about holding your head under the river. That's what I'm talking about. That's my commission. So if you get mad at me, I'm just being obedient to the Lord. He says, baptize them and don't let them up until <laughs> they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Hold them in until they stop wiggling, and then they'll start wiggling again in a different way, and then you can let them out. <laughs> yeah, it's like gators. The same way gators do. They take you down, and they hold you until you stop wiggling, and they stuff you in a hole. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So that's what we're here for. <laughs> it's my job. You know, when it, we, you know we've talked about... Um, this year, 180, 180 turnaround, and, and um, so I want to talk to you about today, 100, the 180's treasure, the treasure that we find as we turn around and find ourselves looking into the face of Jesus, the treasure, the treasure. You know, Jesus told a parable about that, and he told two short parables about that. He said it was like a man who found a, a treasure hidden in a field. And he went and sold everything that he had, got rid of everything so he could purchase that field. Because the treasure that he found in that field was more precious than everything else, the combination of everything else he had in his life. And of course, that treasure was Christ. And he said it was like the merchant that was going out doing business and he found a pearl of great price. And this pearl was worth more than all of the investments that he had accumulated all throughout his life. And he went and sold his businesses, his properties. He got rid of all of everything that he owned and he went and bought this one pearl because of the incredible value of that pearl. And Jesus used those two illustrations to illustrate what happens when someone discovers the treasure that's hidden in a field. And that treasure is Christ. He is altogether lovely. He's more than wonderful. He's greater than anything you can ever imagine. He's indescribable. You can't write songs beautiful enough or preach sermons descriptive enough to describe the greatness and the awesomeness of our God. He is, he is beyond words. So I want to talk to you about that today. Starting in 2 Corinthians 3, 16, Paul said, when one turns to the Lord... That's talking about 180, turning to the Lord. Everyone say, turn to the Lord. This is the message of John the Baptist. It was the message of Jesus. The, me- the first message Jesus pent was, turn to the Lord, or, or repent, turn to the Lord. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, now in this sense, in Paul's sense, he's, he's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to Christians first in this passage, in 2 Corinthians 3. So there's, there tends to be in our lives, you know, the veil's taken away in Christ, but in, 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 in legally speaking, that veil's taken away when we're born again. But if you're talking practic- in our practical experience, there's all kinds of veils that are blocking our mind from seeing, seeing Christ in our day-to-day life. You know, we say sometimes it's like an onion skin and you're peeling away the veil 
layer by layer by layer, all this stuff that's been built up and accumulated in your life until one day you start seeing through the opaque lens of this world and you see through a glass darkly like Paul talked about. We see through a glass darkly, but seeing through a glass darkly, his, his de- description of seeing through a glass darkly knocked him on, this, on the ground on the Damascus roads. He saw Christ. And he is overwhelmed at the majesty, the glory, the excellency, the beauty, the purity, the power, the holiness, the generosity and kindness that was streaming from his face. And he says in in, in 2 Corinthians 3.16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Oh yeah, that's what we're talking about in in 2015, turning to the Lord and whatever veil still remains blocking you from seeing Christ involved in your day-to-day activity. Christ is involved in your family. He is involved in your finances. He is involved in your health situation. He is involved in your ministry. He's involved in every part. Many times you can't see it. Turn to the Lord. Take another 180 turn to the Lord and let the veil be taken off and perceive Christ. See Him in all of the circumstances of life. See that you're in Him and He's in you. You see Him in your day-to-day activities. You see Him orchestrating the events of your life. You see his sovereignty, his beauty, his power, doing what he can only do. Amen. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. Woo! The Holy Ghost is the Lord. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. Now, it's not talking about freedom to live a carnal life. It's talking about freedom from the carnal life. It's not freedom to do whatever you jolly well want to do as far as your flesh is concerned. It's freedom to know Christ in His fullness. Freedom from all those things that held you back. Amen. And we all with unveiled face. Glory. The veil's coming off. I'm turning to the Lord. The veil's coming off. We all with unveiled face. When, you get, when, the, when, the, when the veil comes off and you start to look into the majesty of His glory, you tremble with joy before His presence. There's a fear, a reverence, a joy, a joyful anticipation as you draw near to the courts of your King. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory, gazing upon like David did in the tabernacle, gazing upon the glory of the Lord. And as I'm gazing on the glory of His majesty, I'm looking at Him in in the Word of God. I see Christ in His Word. I see Christ in the circumstances of my life. I see Christ in His church. I see Christ in the mirror in my life. I see Christ in His manifest presence being poured out on my life, beholding the glory of the Lord. And as I behold and meditate on the glory of the Lord, I am metamorphosized, transformed from one degree of glory to another. There's a transformation, a change that takes place. I don't get stuck on some plateau, no matter how great that plateau is. There's more. Everyone say, there's more. There's more. No matter how what you've tasted of God, there is more. There's an infinite amount more of God. There's an infinite amount more. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, I'm... Um, I want to, I'm going to give you a couple of short quotes from, I found, I stumbled on this sermon that I hadn't read. You know, I, I'm, I've been living in the world of Jonathan Edwards since 1995 or 96. I love to read his, his, his sermons. And I found this one sermon, it was called Praying for the Spirit. 
And what, he was, what it was describing is he was challenging his church in between the first wave of the Holy Ghost that had hit their church in the 1730s and the second wave, which became the Great Awakening in the 1740s. In between that time, he was challenging his church to seek the Lord for another visitation. Lord, we need more. Lord, we need more. He, he preached a message called Praying for the Spirit. Praying for, everyone just say that, Praying for the Spirit. Now, not that we don't have the Spirit, but there's more. He's an infinite God. Praying for visitation from the Lord. So this, this, that's what we're talking about, this treasure this morning. The person that when you make that 180 degree turn, and when you find him, you find that he is exceedingly excellent and lovely. Infinitely excellent and lovely. The Song of Solomon 510 says, My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. He stands out wherever he is. Here's a, a, a glimpse from that sermon. Before Christ is found, there is nothing that is truly lovely that is ever found or seen. But now that they've found Christ, they've found one that is excellent indeed. They see in him a real substantial excellency. Jesus is different from anyone else that you could ever meet. He's not like any of the great dignitaries in this world who've lived in the past, who have lived in the future. He's not like any of the other prophets of the other religions. He doesn't, he can't even be compared to any of the other voices that have ever spoken. He is set apart. Christ Jesus is totally set apart, different. He's an eternal being who became a man and lived amongst us. And shining out from him, when he opens his mouth, you see excellency. When you get in his presence, you feel excellency absolute perfection and holiness and kindness and generosity and holiness and power and compassion flowing out from every part of his being excellency and this is who you step into you start stepping into Christ you meet him in his word you meet him in worship you meet him in prayer and you meet this person who is the treasure hidden in a field and he is altogether lovely they find one with a loveliness altogether new, such as they never saw anything like it before. They find a pearl of great price, a jewel that's exceedingly precious. The brightness with which it sparkles is precious and sweet. The brightness of the sun is but darkness compared to it, and therefore it fills the soul with exceeding gladness. Fill me, O oh God, with exceeding, with exceeding infinite gladness, Lord, that I can drink again of your awesome cup. Now here, then, then they that find him, when you find him, I remember the first time that Christ became real to me. You know, I'd been talked, I'd heard about him, I knew about him, in some kind of way I believed that he was real, but I'd never touched the reality of Christ. Until that day on the lakefront in 1973 when Christ became real to me. When I first began to be aware of his, the reality of God in my own soul, the shocking thing, you know, of course, in a moment of time, all these feelings and, and experiences rush through you and you experience true holiness for the first time. And you think, how could someone like this ever accept someone like me? That's how you know you're ready. How could someone like this accept someone like me? How could someone like this love someone like me? 
How could someone like this forgive someone like me and include someone like me? But he did. He absolutely did. He embraced me. He loved me. He washed me. He touched me. He held me. And he changed me. And that's the way he is. When we find him, they find Christ. When we, they find Christ, they find Christ ready to receive them. This is what he said in Matthew 11. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. If you're troubled, come to Christ. I will give you rest. He will bring rest to your soul. If you're troubled today, troubled with your financial pain, troubled with emotional pain, troubled with your kids, troubled with your money, troubled with your health circumstances, troubled with your spouse, come unto me, all ye that are troubled. I will give you rest unto your soul. I'll bring rest into your soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. They that find Christ, Jonathan Edwards again said, he says they find them, him, him ready to receive them. Though he be so glorious and excellent a person, yet they find him ready to receive such a poor, worthless, hateful creature as they are which was unexpected to them. They are surprised with it. They did not imagine that Christ was such a kind person, a person of such grace. They heard he was a holy savior and hated sin. They did not imagine he'd be so ready to receive such vile, wicked creatures as they were. Though they, be sh though, though they thought that he surely would never be willing to accept such provoking sinners, such guilty wretches, those that had such abominable hearts. But behold, he's not a whit the more backward to receive him for that they unexpectedly find him with open arms to embrace them, ever ready to forget all their sins as though they'd never been. They find him as, as, as it, where he runs to meet them and makes them most welcome and admits them not only to be his servants, but his friends. He lifts them out of the dust and seats them on his throne and makes them children of God. He speaks peace to them. He cheers and refreshes their hearts. He admits them into strict union with himself and gives them a joyful entertainment. <laughs> Woo! He gives them the most joyful entertainment in his loving arms. A joy unspeakable, a joy and indescribable, a satisfaction in the depths of your soul that this world can't come close to. We see shadows of it in our great experiences here. We see shadows of it in the love of our spouse or the love of our children. We see shadows of it in our great victories and accomplishments, but nothing can compare to the sweetness and love with one embrace grace from the master joy unspeakable in his presence he binds himself to them to be their friend forever so they're surprised with their entertainment they never imagined to find Christ as a person of such kind of love and grace as this tis beyond all imagination or exception wow so this is the treasure that we find in Christ Oh, he loves you no matter where you've been, no matter what you smell like, no matter what you've done. He loves you. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you totally. He loves you permanently. He'll embrace you. And it's in the embrace that change begins. Oh, yeah. They that find Christ find so we're talking about finding this treasure. We're turning around the veils stripped away. We see Christ. We find in Christ an exceeding great deliverance in Christ. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. You know, I think about two people that stand out and in my mind that were changed 
by the touch of Jesus Christ. First, the prototype is the Apostle Paul. When we first meet Paul in Acts chapter 9, we find Paul breathing out profanity and hatred toward Christians. Paul was an angry man. And he, he touched Christ, and Christ touched him on the road to Damascus. And this anger, this passion and hatred toward Christianity, this passion and anger was turned into love and a passionate love for our Savior. Paul became a passionate man, a passion for the Lord, and a passion for the kingdom of God. He was delivered from who he was. He was delivered from his excesses in the world, and he was brought into the excesses of pursuing Christ with all his soul, all, all his heart, and all his mind. And you think of, of Mary Magdalene portrayed in the Bible as a, as a woman of the street. Mary Magdalene found, she found herself and she lived her life in a, in a, in a life of manipula manipulation, manipulating people, manipulating men. That's the way she lived her life. She was a manipulative woman getting her way with her charms and with her beauty. Anyone listening to me? And she was smitten by the love of Jesus Christ. Instead of being manipulative, she became influential. Influential for the kingdom of God. She became a woman of grace, of holiness, and of power. They used her persuasive skills that were now redeemed to draw people and attract people to this lover of her soul, this Jesus of Nazareth, who was like no other man she had ever met. One moment in his presence, and all the fear and the junk that was controlling her life was blown away and she was delivered to the depths of her soul. They that find Christ find deliverance that's exceedingly great. They were before the children of wrath, but now, behold, they are delivered from that wrath and God has become their friend. Before they were in possession of Satan, the dreadful adversary, but now they found deliverance out of his hands. Christ has rescued them. He's conquered the strong man. He's the strong man armed and he has forever set him out of the devil's reach as to any power to destroy them. Our deliverance from a sinful nature, we're totally delivered from, you know, you used to be in, enslaved the nature of sin. It was, it was part of who we are. This Adamic nature controlled our thoughts, our thinking. We, were, we, we weren't yielding to, 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 to anything positive in life. We were doing what felt right and what we felt right in our own eyes. Man was doing whatever he wanted in our own eyes. And Christ came into our life. Not only did he forgive us from our sins, he delivered us from ourselves. We no longer have to be a slave to ourselves and our own foolish appetites. He begins to replace our foolish appetites with an appetite and a hunger for the things of God. And we are totally delivered by the glory of God. Amen. They that find in Christ, they find a defense. A defense. Oh yeah, there's stuff out there that's in the world. There's a defense. We find this treasure. We run into his arms and we find a place of safety and defense from the troubles, the anxiety, the stress, the problems, the dilemmas. You know, instead of, instead of a, a fear of death, a fear of what's going to happen after this world, we embrace death as a Christian. Death becomes our friend's. It's no longer our enemy because death is just the portal we pass through to see our glorious Savior. It's no longer our enemy. Death has been defeated. It's been conquered by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only the way to get to our higher joy. It's the way in. Amen. 
Zechariah 2.5, I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. They that find this treasure find an incredible defense safe in the arms of God. Now in, in Edward's sermon, he talked about, about David and how David was running for his life for many years from King Saul. Interesting app. Listen to this. Christ is between us, the people that find Christ, and their enemies like a great, steep, rocky, impassable mountain. Like the mountain that divided between Saul and David when Saul sought David's life, of which we read in 1 Samuel. And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David on, and his men on the other side of the mountain. And it says in Samuel 1, 23, Therefore they shall call the place They called the place that, which signifies, it signifies the rock of divisions. The rock of divisions. Now you have to be careful when you do that. <laughs> because it was the mountain or the rock that divided between David and his enemies. There's a, a rock that's been placed between you and your enemies, and that rock is Christ. Nothing, nothing can penetrate God's protective power. He's got you. You're in his, his wall of fire. You're behind his impenetrable mountain. He is the rock. Things that terrified us have lost their power over us. We are all hidden behind this rock, and this rock is Christ. Now I want to I'm going to finish with this, this last thought. They that have found this treasure find a fountain. Woo! That's exceedingly full. Oh yeah, it's a fountain, a fountain of life. It's bubbling up. Jesus told the woman at the well in Samaria about this fountain that would be with her the rest of her life. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. Now, we're going to, here's a, a final quote from Edward's sermon about this treasure. It's about the fountain. They that have found Christ have a fountain, have found a fountain that's exceedingly full. Full of that which they stand in need of for the supply of the wants. And satisfying the cravings of their souls. You know, God is... God has created man in his image. And before, we, he created us with an insatiable hunger for pleasure. Before the fall, that pleasure was aimed at God. In its corrupted state, we, we have, a, we have a, a pretty huge appetite that's been created by God. It's been, it's been twisted and it's aimed at the wrong things. And this, so this fountain Jesus told this woman, he says, there's a fountain of, of living water that will bubble up inside of you. If you'll drink from this fountain, that craving will be satisfied. It satisfies us. It actually creates another thirst, a thirst for God. And it satisfies us so that that horrible itch and lust that drove us to do the unthinkable is, begins to be driven from our life as we drink of this fountain. It's the way of deliverance. Amen. He says, um, he goes on to say, a fountain of that happiness that is true happiness, that which is exquisitely sweet, a fountain of living waters from whence rivers are continually flowing. 
They that find him find rivers of water in a dry place. Here they find an inexhaustible treasure. Here they find balm to heal the wounds of their soul. Excellent food, fat things full of marrow, and wines on the lees well refined. Here they find that fruit that is sweet to the taste. Here they find gold tried in the fire. Here is white raiment to clothe them. Here are crowns of glory. Here they have enough, enough to live upon as long as they live in this world and to all eternity. Here is enough that they can desire no more. The fountain is inexhaustible and never can be diminished and has not a ragged, poor, naked beggar, a wretched outcast, a wandering, famishing, lost creature cause of exceeding great joy when after it has long wandered in the wilderness, it finds such a fountain. Oh, you find that fountain, you just fall in it and say, I'm never getting out. I'm never getting, this is my destiny. This is my joy. This is my life. This is my home. This is my God. You see, people have made a mistake about revival. Revival is, this river began to break out. For us, in our generation, it began to break out in the, in the early 90s, and people began to embrace. I was looking at a video last Monday night in my Holy Spirit class, and it was um, Rick Shelton's testimony of how he first came in contact. How he first came in contact. And he said it began like a, you know, it was in a, Suddenly, it was all over their city. He, they started having meetings, and they had, they had 400 pastors attending. We had 250 pastors come here when it first broke out in our church in that first, first couple of weeks. And it was like suddenly it was everywhere. Suddenly it was everywhere, but, but then they went back to their, their norm. They thought that this was just an experience to have, not the, a new way of living, did not realize you can, you can live your life in the Spirit. Paul said, walk in the Spirit. Jesus said, abide in Christ. This was a, a well, a, a river breaking out in the, a desert for us to, to live our life and to live our life in the fullness of the refreshing of, it, of His presence. Not just a refreshing so we can go back in the desert again. Oh, no, I, I've had enough out there. I've had enough of the stinking desert. I've had enough. I've had enough of dry spells. I've had enough of miserable Christians. I've had enough of all of that garbage that goes on in the religious world as well as in the secular world. Oh, no, thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to, you can find me at, at the river. That's my place. That's where I want to live. That's a place. It's, and and the, thing, the, the reason why people, they, don't, they think it's an experience. They, they forgot one small minor detail. One small minor detail. The river is not an experience. The river is a person. The river is God, the Holy Ghost. It's what Jesus purchased for us. It was the purchased He purchased access to the river of the Holy Ghost, life in the fullness, oneness with the Father. He purchased that for us with His precious blood. The veil's been torn. I can come in to a new and living way and step into the stream, the glory that's flowing out from the Father and the Son. And He is enough for me to quench my thirst, to satisfy me all the days of my life, to put a a joyful anticipation of what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be better than you can imagine. If you want to find out what it's like, have another drink. I'm telling you, have another drink. Have another drink. Amen. So, Lord, we say, more, Lord. More. 
Lord God, our church is in need of visitation, God. I'm in need of visitation. Lord God, New Orleans needs a visitation. Southeast Louisiana needs a visitation. Our country needs a visitation. Lord, our politicians need a visitation. Oh God, visit us, oh God. Awaken us. Awaken our nation from its slumber and from its sleep, Lord God. Visit us again and remind us of the great days of past visitations in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Oh God, bless America one more time with a visitation from on high. One more time, let there be an awakening that shakes this nation from coast to coast, from Hawaii to Maine, from Alaska to Florida. Lord God, from the Gulf Coast to the Canadian border, let there be a visitation that shakes America one more time, that shakes the foolishness out, that shakes political correctness out, that shakes the devil out, that shakes oh, the fear of man out of us. One more time, oh God. Oh, it's possible. Yeah, all things are possible. One more time. Visit us, Lord, with a visitation. Oh God, a visitation. A visitation like like Brother Seymour experienced in Los Angeles. A visitation like Evan Roberts experienced in Wales. A visitation like the Wesleys experienced in London. A visitation like Whitfield experienced in the 13 colonies. A visitation like Jonathan Edwards experienced in Northampton, Massachusetts. One more time. One more time. Oh God, one more time, Simbaye, Resta, Condore, Selamasta. Lord, our heart cries out for this living Simandere. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to pray for you. Just stand with me right now. Everybody stand with me. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at www.victoryfellowship.net for service times and for more information.